Well, good morning, Willow Park South. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Tracy Bennett. I'm one of the new associate pastors here at Willow Park Church. Um, I'm also a counsellor and a part-time professor at the university. And um, yeah, it's a delight to be here with you. Could we just turn the lights down just a tad? Because I'm a little bit blinded. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, Glenn um, Madden obviously is away this weekend. It's his 25th wedding anniversary with Sarah. So that is amazing. So they're having a wonderful time. And um, Glenn is trusting me here with you this morning. And I promised him that I wouldn't send you all to Timmy's for a coffee. Right? <laughs> but I said the only, the, only, um, the only deal is I get to use your funky Madonna headset. And he went, okay. <laughs> So, yes, on a serious note, so I am here to preach um, to you about dwelling in the Lord. But before I I go into uh, sharing with you about that, um, I do want to say that it is an honor to be here. And um, I just want to introduce myself, really, in terms of what I do in the community and what I've been doing since we moved here from England um, over the last seven years. So my job really has been to, um, prior to being here, um, I worked at Cambridge University where I was a lecturer. Um, Here you call it a professor. It sounds very grand. And my my colleagues in in Cambridge all laugh when I tell them I'm an adjunct professor. So so whilst there, I was at Ridley Hall Theological College, which is part of Cambridge University. And there I got to train people for ordained ministry, so both men and women, for the Church of England. Loved the job. It was a fantastic job. And I got to meet all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, academics, theologians from all over the world. Fantastic. As well as being there doing that job, I also, the Lord woke me up to a ministry Uh, felt a real calling to pastors and missionaries who were actually out on the field. So as a result of that calling, I started um, a counselling ministry, especially for those people, which grew and developed uh, until we had a calling here to to Canada. Um, When we came to Canada, both Pete and myself, um, many of you who know, Um, We came here and um, set up home. We started here at the South. This has been our home church for the last six and a half years, actually. Um, So we've had a wonderful base, a wonderful church, wonderful friends and family, and you're included in that. Um, But my mission carried on. My call to that mission was carried on. So I've continued with um, with, with that ministry, really, throughout my time here. So I've been working all over the world, um, usually through Skype, with the use of technology that really helps me, um, working with missionaries and pastors and priests who are called to very complex missions. So I do it very quietly, although I'm telling you this today. Um, I do it very quietly and people are brought to me, I prepare them, and um, they go out on mission and sometimes I support them whilst they're there. And then sometimes they're flown in and I will debrief them. As well as that, what I've been doing is uh, working in the community, um, offering counselling with a faith base to it, really. Um, I've had the honour and privilege of working throughout the valley. um, And I was involved in the setup of Third Space, which is 
based in Landmark, which some of you may or may not know, which is a counselling organisation. And about 18 months ago, I set up um, a counselling centre in the South Okanagan, which is in Summerland, so that services that area too. Um, so I've been a busy bee, but it's been a lot of fun, okay? But that, so that's a little bit about me, my background, where I come from, okay? So a heart for ministry, a heart for counselling, a heart for healing and wholeness. I'm going to be sharing um, a little bit from Psalm 91 today, Um, and really uh, my my whole point of this sermon is to share about um, personal testimony, So, uh, so a little bit like Dave, I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my story and how I came to know the Lord. I'm also going to be sharing um, from professional um, experience, what I witness in the counseling uh, sector, and healing and health and recovery, and just personal witness too. Okay, so I I, I draw really from those three experiences. Okay, I would love you to open your Bibles. If we could have the slides on now, that would be wonderful. Thank you. I'd like you to open your um, Bibles to Psalm 91, if you would. Okay, if we can have that on the screen, wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to read from this lovely psalm. And I love this psalm. It really is, um, it really explains and sets what I'm talking about today. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I shall satisfy him. And show him my salvation. That is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It's one of those psalms, actually, you need to take your time to read. That you really need to ponder on, line by line, to really understand it. And sometimes it's very important when we're reading scripture that we actually do that. It's very easy to to read the chunks. And if you're like me, I'm like... Okay, what did I just read? What went in? What didn't go in? You know? So sometimes you have problems with that. Just read it section by section. Okay? Because it's a very powerful psalm. 
It has many meanings in it. And I know from the sermon series that you've just been going through with, with Pastor Glenn that you've been, um, you've been faced with a lot of material, a lot of questions, good, solid questions that can really help you to think about your faith and actually how it relates to you personally and the culture in which you live. It gives you good tools to communicate with people who aren't Christians. And that must always be a focus. Whilst we're enriching and understanding ourselves, it must also be a focus to be missional, to be, to be spreading the gospel. So hopefully you will have learned some good tools through the sermon series that you've just been through. So I'm going to be speaking now and reflecting on this psalm that we've just read in terms of what it means to me, what I see in the counseling field, in a world full of brokenness, because that's what I really come across a lot. I work a lot in trauma counseling. So what does to dwell mean to us? In the Hebrew, yashim means to sit down and remain. To sit down and remain. To dwell means to sit down and remain. And that is, that is a, an amazing space to be in. It's a real challenge in the culture in which we live, isn't it? Because we live in, we live in a frenetic culture that's so, so busy. I know when I'm working with a lot of people, quite often um, I come across like anxiety, depression, overload, and people just do not know how to be. And it's kind of crazy because really and truthfully, we, we live in a world with technology that really is there to make things a lot easier and to save us time. But we find ourselves busier than ever. ever. And I know especially when I'm working with children and young people, where anxiety is through the roof, when I actually look and assess, and I don't want to sound simplistic in this, but quite often they just do not know how to be. They do not know how to switch off. And it's not good for us. And we need to be aware of that as adults. We need to be aware of what we model to our, to our young people, to our children. Because it's great to be involved in many things, but we need to learn how to be. In our spiritual lives, it's very important to learn how to be in the Lord, how to spend some time in the Lord. We need to understand the Lord in that space. We need to understand that the Father is there for all of us in those times, that his arms are open wide. He's a big God with many, many good things to give to us, and he's there for all of us in those ways. So really, it's very important to be intentional. We have to set time aside. We need to focus in. And I know even when I was um, training people in all-day ministry, quite often people would come for two to three years to be with us, and they were very bright people. To come to Cambridge, you had to be the top of the top, the creme de la creme. So we get the really bright students, you know, we're so focused on grades and marks and performance. And it was my job as one of the tutors to actually monitor their academic performance, of course, but also look at the whole holistic well-being of that student and the, what we used to call professional and spiritual formation of them. So yeah, the academics are important, but how are you applying that? 
to your own spiritual life. How are you relating that whilst you're on placement in churches to your congregational members when you're preaching, when you're teaching? How does that work? So it's very important that we understand that, that even people who are pastors and priests can get it wrong. Like quite often, I find myself working with pastors and priests who have burnt out, maybe. Okay? What's the first thing that I identify when I'm assessing them is they've forgotten how to be in the Lord. They've become so consumed with their work, so consumed with their ministry, that they've forgotten to set it aside and have those special times. They've forgotten to put boundaries in to take care of themselves. And it can be very detrimental. So it really is, for me, taking them back to basics. Now, Paul's advice in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, when we read that verse, he talks about that in relation to praying without ceasing. So when we're setting that time to be with the Lord, when we set that time to dwell with him, to sit and remain, to have that peace and quiet... We need to pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means that we talk with him. Now, you've got to understand that everybody experiences the Lord in a different way. Okay, we're all different. We all communicate. We all hear from the Lord in different ways. And that's okay. That's okay. You know, some of us um, experience the Lord through worship. Some, of them, some people hear through his voice. Prayer, obviously, is key in that space, in that time. But to dwell means to commune with the Lord. Okay? It means to commune. Now, I am called to cases um, quite often. I have been in the last six weeks in our community. I'm called into cases where sometimes there's been suicide or attempted suicide. Um, There's been homicide. Um, I'm called into acute trauma where there's been complex death, injury, or assault. It could be a really hard place to go into, right? A really difficult place. People often ask me, Tracy, how do you do your job? How do you go into these situations and do what you need to do? And my answer is, I never go in without the Lord. I never go in without praying about entering that intimacy with the Lord first. I spend time set aside with him. And why do I do that? I do that because it is so vitally important. Because the Lord gives me a peace. He gives me wisdom. He gives me discernment. He gives me the ability to go and do what I need to do. Okay? And quite often it is going into the heart of people's mess. He also offers me a protection. But because I dwell with him so much, because that is part of my ministry, I've learned to do it very, very effectively. And it's part of my personal revelation of the Lord, which I'm going to share with you towards the end. But that is how I do what I do. When we actually enter into that that place with the Lord, I call it like a sacred space. It's just that special time. And those of you who, who are Christians will know that feeling of love of peace, of just being at one with the Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that nothing else can replace 
place it with. When we go into that space, there's like, you know when it says in Scripture, there's a molding to be more like Christ and less of us. To be in the world, but not of the world. That's what's happening in that space. So we need to be intentional in it. We need to take that time to go and be. To allow that transformation to to take place. Because out of that comes a beautiful holiness. Out of that is where we really, really experience true healing and redeeming and restoration from the hurts we might have occurred in life. So I really, really do encourage you into that space to dwell in him. And it has to be intentional. Just like sometimes when I'd work with my people who were training to be priests and they were busy, busy, and I'd be like, you're missing something. You're missing the core of why you're here. Why am I here, Tracy? I'm getting all my grades. I'm, I'm aiming for my first. Yes, but you're not getting it. And sometimes I'd pull them right out of their studies, and they would hate me for that. But I'd be like, give me, your, give me your laptop. Give me a computer. And sometimes I'd send them off to places where they were quite remote. Why? Because they needed to go and be with the Lord. That's truly how you grow and develop. In hard times, when hard things happen, and I again speak from personal experience, when we truly experience that place and understand it and know it, we can then draw into it when tough things go wrong and occur. There is a peace that comes, as I've said, peace that surpasses all understanding and we can withstand anything in that in that time we can withstand anything in James 4 8 it talks about drawing close to God and he will draw close to you and that is so true that is so true and I'm going to talk about my personal testimony in that You know, I came from a, a background where I was, um, I was from a very wealthy family, actually. My father was a, a self-made millionaire. He came from a very poor background himself. Um, but he'd made his money. And um, very sadly, you know, sometimes when you make a lot of money, um, you attract the wrong attention. Um, my father... Um, was a good guy actually he was a really good guy but unfortunately fell into the hands of criminal gang it's interesting that Dave was here sharing about that my father fell into a world of organized crime um, over time more and more money was infiltrated in and um, and we got sucked in as a family and we went through a whole lot of experiences I was a little girl and I observed and witnessed a lot of stuff that I should not have seen and should not have experienced but I did. It was very difficult. My father became very violent. He had a very he suffered from breakdown, and my mother um, sadly fell into the world of drugs. So very very what went from uh, like this perfect idyllic, great big house, home, swimming pool, posh cars, went into brokenness. It was hideous. And quite often my father was very violent towards me. I'd end up in the hospital, but nothing was ever picked up. 
And there's, there's one part in that uh, psalm which always speaks to me um, about sitting under the Father's wings. And I know in my recovery, in my own personal healing, I've experienced that. You know, when bad things happen to us, when bad things happen in the world, and they do, right? We read through that psalm, and it can be really confusing because whilst you read that God is there, God is with us, he loves us, he will protect us from all things, bad things happen, don't they? I work in it the whole time. I've experienced it as a little girl growing up. But you know, the one thing that I will testify to is that although I didn't become a Christian until later, you know what? Something in me was protected. That whilst all these hard things go on, whether it's illness, whether it's death, whether it's, it's violence, whether it's money worries, whatever is going on, you know, the Lord can protect us from that. Okay, he will never leave you nor forsake you because he loves you. Right? He will never leave you alone in those places at all. Okay? And that's something you've got to grip onto in that space. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through or what you've gone through, that the Lord will bring you through it. There's something there that's protected and will get you through. So going back to my story, um, just to bring it in, um, whilst I experienced what I experienced, um, the really cool thing was that whilst I lost my family, I was then put into foster care for a period of time. I had lovely foster parents, um, and they, they were just such a blessing to me. Um, but after that, I was, uh, whilst I was living with them, I, I actually experienced a Christian holiday camp. And I remember going, I was really sporty, my daughter's here this evening, this morning, sorry, and she's really sporty, so she knows. Um, but I went for the sport, but it was a Christian camp. Um, so I went through that, was not interested in the Christianity. I thought it was a bit lame, really. Um, but anyway, there was something that just turned my head slightly. It really did turn my head. And I was like, okay, what on earth is that love all about? All I can remember was it was just this, this strange love. And I was like intrigued. I went back to school. Uh, then I went to live with my parents for a little while longer and then back into foster care. You know, I was doing that whole thing. Um, but even through the mess of my family and the mess of my life, there was something that had turned my head. And then eventually, I won't go into all the details, um, eventually I got a job working um, as a beach lifeguard in Blackpool which is not Baywatch, right? Everybody thinks it's Baywatch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's freezing. It used to take you about 20 minutes to get all your layers off. It was that cold there, I'm telling you, okay? So Blackpool Beach Patrol, I was 20 years old. I just started university. It was my goal to get to university. I was so driven, such a driven young person. I got myself to university, and I started this job because I needed to fund myself through um, so went out on patrol, and um, the day that I actually went out on that job, so I'd been working on the, I'd been working on the job for a few weeks, and the day that I, that I went out and um, really encountered something really amazing was uh, June the 20th, I remember it very well. It was a crazy day, right? In Blackpool, and you'll see some images in a minute, it was blowing up about a Gale Force 9. For those of you who are nautical, I will get a bit nerdy right now, okay? So we're looking at Gale Force 9, 
Um, the sea really is, is, is running about 52 miles per hour in terms of the wind. So that's 40, 45 knots. The, the sea was rolling. It was foaming. There were huge waves. Uh, and the depth was about 23 to 32 feet. So for those of you who sail and know the water, that gives you a perspective. Okay. So I'm walking along in my little outfit and my, my radio system and patrolling in this area when, okay, that's what it looked like. That's what it was looking like. It was blowing up. I like to give you the visuals. My husband says, give the visuals because the guys will like to see. I'm like, okay, I'll give the visuals. Okay. So as you can see, it was blowing up. Okay. Those are the waves around the parapet. Okay, so you can imagine, this was in June in England. Okay, why are we not moving? We've got a problem with our clicker. Okay. I'll let you press it if, if you could, thank you. So as you can see, the waves are looping up. Not really a day to go swimming, is it? <laughs> Keep on going. That's the, one of the piers that sticks out. There's three piers that run off from the... Uh, okay, and we're going to hold it on that slide. Thank you. So I'm, I'm on patrol. This is what the water's doing. That gives you a visual Im image. And um, I get a call. I get a call on my radio. And uh, there's somebody who has gone off the end of this pier into this sea. Okay. Now, I was actually just the other side of, of the pier... I was the north side of the pier. Now, normally, when you, when you are assessing this situation, you stood there. Now, there's, there's 15 of us on this patrol. Unfortunately, the guy on the, on the, on the left-hand side had gone off for lunch in the middle of the day. And, um, and we got the call. There were, there were police that had come in. There were, there were ambulances that had come in. So, I, so it was all big commotion. And so I was, I was kind of like running down towards the north end of the pier. I got there, and I remember saying to a policeman, what, what's happening? And he said to me, he was a chief inspector. I know Glenn's dad's here, so he will know what that means. A chief inspector, someone who's quite high up in the police. And he said, he said, somebody's gone in off the end of the pier. We don't know if she's fallen in, jumped in, whatever, but, but she's in. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So myself and this chief inspector, we ran around to this side of the pier. And the girl was just about halfway down. She'd been, she'd been washed around the pier. So normally what you do in this situation is if you decide to go in, you put a line on. You put a harness and a line and you sprint swim out to your casualty, trying to keep a visual as much as possible so that you can grab the casualty and then you get pulled back in. Okay. Kind of makes sense. They watch, right? It isn't. So, so I stood there with this chief inspector, and we were looking. And um, I was trying to radio up to my base to tell them what I was going to do. And unfortunately, the radio system broke. Right. So I just looked at this guy and said, "My radio system's down," um, because normally what you do is you radio for backup, you radio for the lifeboat to come in, and the helicopter. We have all three. So I shut my radio down and I, and I said to the chief inspector, right, we need to go in. And he turned around and he went, I'm not going in. And he ran off. 
We ran at the beach. Right? I remember he had great big boots on. I remember looking at his boots thinking, okay. So I, I started my swim in. And so I went through waves that are very similar to this. There were rollers, right? If you, and you, as a lifeguard, you're taught how to swim through rollers. So There's a certain time that you dive into the wave. So you use the wave to get yourself out, right? And that's what I was doing. I was just going through the rollers. So no line, just going through the rollers. But as I started in this rescue, now remember, I've not had much experience of Christianity. All I'd, all I'd picked up was this love that had turned my head. I just entered into this space with the Lord. And I was just, Lord, Father, it's you and me now. It's you and me. And honestly, as I stand here and testify, that is all that went around in my head. It's you and me now. It's you and me. So it, and, and it was just like this instant connection. It's just the only way I can explain it. And so I went through probably about five or six waves. Now the waves, the water was so strong that day, it actually ripped off my clothes. <laughs> but all I was left with, thank goodness, was my one piece. I put my one piece on that day, so it was good. But uh, yeah, that was a bit stressful. But that just shows you the power of the water, Right? So I got halfway down, and somebody had actually thrown down a life belt. So I was feeling quite worn out by that time, and I grabbed onto the, light the life belt, and the guy leaned over. I remember there was a man, and he said, I don't know what you're going to do, but the lifeboats can't launch. Right? We had two inshore lifeboats, an offshore lifeboat. That was on its way. I didn't know that. But the two inshore lifeboats uh, that we normally used in these areas because the water was so rough, and the coxswain uh, deemed it too dangerous for his crew to come out, okay? The coxswain was my chief beach patrol officer. So he was a guy in his 40s who apparently sat in the boat when he made the call and cried. And the lifeboatmen were crying because they knew it probably wasn't going to end up very good. So I'm holding on to this lifeboat as I held onto the lifeboat and I heard that the lifeboats weren't coming I kind of knew that the helicopter would be coming from Wales because that's where it came from and at that moment this girl this girl who'd gone in off the end of the pier her whole body was thrown out of the water and so I just made the call I let go of the belt and I went for her and I got her and I started to tow her away so you so you saw the parapet where all the water was smashing up. That was just to the left of me. And when you're in deep water, rolling water, you need to just take yourself away from the pier, from any hard thing that you can get smashed against. So that's the way I went. I swam with her. I wouldn't let her go. I had my arms underneath her arms. She was semi-conscious, and I was keeping her up. I knew if I let go of her, she would die, for sure. And so I kept hold of her. I couldn't let her go. I just could not let her go. But all the time, Lord, it's you and me now. It's you and me. It's you and me now. It's you and me. And we, we got out. And just as I got clear of the pier, a big, big wave came across, smashed on both of us, and we both got sucked underneath the pier. I let go of her. I was actually fighting for my life at that point. I got sucked under. The currents down there are very, very strong. And so I eventually popped out, um, just up in the stanchions, and then she popped her, and I literally grabbed hold of her hair. And when we went that way, we went to the north side, okay, again, trying to get her away from the pier. 
And then we were getting washed out to sea. So again, that my prayer was going. And there, were no, there was no helicopter. There was no offshore life, lifeboat that I was looking for. I knew that would have been called. And then I remember, you know, I just remember experiencing a peace. Just a peace. Even though I was worn out, I was tired, still had hold of this girl. And I'm, I, I kept praying the prayer. And then all of a sudden, as I had, had hold of her, um, like when the trough of the wave comes, you know, the dip in the wave, that's called a trough. When that came, my two feet kind of like bounced off what I thought was the sandy bottom of the, of the ocean. Because I couldn't swim anymore. I was too tired because I'd been out there for 30 minutes. I pushed back. Right, so my feet were there. I pushed back until the next trough, and I pushed back, and I literally, I literally bounced back like that, right? So to me, I was like, great, I'm able to push back off the, the sandy bottom of the, of the ocean, and I will get back. And sure enough, that's how I got back with this girl in tow, right? As I was like about probably about 15 to 20 meters from the shore, two policemen came running in on lines up to their thighs and they took the casualty from me and then took me. Um, obviously very, very exhausted at this point and um, took her to hospital. She survived. She survived. Um, she, she tried to commit suicide very sadly. She was 16 years old, so just four years younger than myself. And um, I refused to go to hospital. I was like, I was all good. Thank you very much. So I was taken to the lifeboat uh, station and um, cleaned up. I was okay. I was cleaned up. It was a miracle that I wasn't scratched or cut. It was a miracle I survived, really. And so I was sat there with all these guys. Um, and when I say guys, you know, the lifeboatmen are usually, they're, they're so old and wise and weathered. They've got barnacles growing on their face, right? <laughs> and I sat there, and my chief said, who come from the lifeboat station, and we all sat there, I said, what happened? How did you get back? And I said, well, I said, I got to a certain point, and I started to bounce back, you know. And the lifeboatmen all looked at each other. And the one older lifeboatman, who I thought was really old, like about 100, he was probably about 50, he just looked at me and he went, and the whole place went quiet. The whole place went quiet. And they said, the hand of the Lord. Tracy, there's no way you could have bounced on the bottom of the ocean there because it's far too deep. And we all just sat there in silence. It was an incredible moment, something that I really couldn't comprehend at that time. I was so young. But then I realized it was a time of um, real intimacy for me with the Lord. It was a time of revelation. It was a time just like Dave spoke about, where the Lord just woke up. I hadn't understood what I'd gone through. But what I'd gone through is just meeting the Lord when life was on the edge. If you spend some time with people, missionaries, pastors, who've witnessed horrendous things. I work with people who've been affected by ISIS, who've worked in the remits, who've watched horrendous things, who've been tortured themselves, 
who've been close to death themselves, they will all share a very similar story of when you're really on the edge, when life's wobbling. You can experience the Lord in an amazing way. It turned my head. It completely turned my head. I experienced an intimacy and peace that I didn't really understand at the time, but I've grown to understand. I have never once doubted my faith. I've never doubted him from that moment. I experience a continual intimacy with him all the time. It's why I can do what I can do, because I have him there so close. If you read the book by Corrie ten Boom, she will describe the same intimacy. She went through horrific things. It opens that doorway. And I'm not saying that you can't experience the Lord and have that intimate experience with him without going through horrendous things, because you can. I don't know why everyone doesn't have that intense intimacy. I don't know. All I know is he's there for you. He's there for you. And just because your story may not be dramatic, it's still revelation of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Can we go to the next slide? That's me. (laughs) That is me when I'm 20 years old. And, And that, so you saw the picture of the pier, right? This is the very end of the pier, so it goes on even more. And we were washed out to sea that way. Okay, I look really cool and hard and tough in that picture, don't I? So, and the next slide, please. And so these are the guys that were meant to come and rescue me. They didn't show up. (laughs) Okay. And that just shows you a little bit about beach patrol. And this is a very lovely thing. So, you know, from this experience, I came out with three wonderful, wonderful things. The third thing was actually, so I put this last, was actually being uh, awarded uh, a medal for gallantry in the House of Commons by the Home Secretary. I also received two more commendations for bravery from my country, and it was just such an honor and a privilege to be celebrated in that way, and I was very grateful. The next thing that was secondly amazing, I like to put them in order, was the honor and privilege of saving somebody's life. Nothing can ever take that away. Such an honor, such a privilege. But the most important thing that I came away with was just that knowledge, insight, and intimacy with my father. It was amazing. And that's the most important thing that I came away with. And as I said, has enabled me to go into ministry. My whole life changed. My whole focus changed. And the next slide. This is inside the House of Commons. I thought you might want to have a look. Okay. (laughs) And the next one. It's my final slide. Is the House of Commons in London, where I went down to receive my awards. Thank you. And so I just want to finish with uh, Galatians 2.20, because this describes my life right now. I have been been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I have by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. And I now understand the love of God. I understand healing personally from my own life experience. And I also understand that that even though he's there, and even though we live in a very broken world at times, we go through hard things. He's always there with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. You know, many of you know, just to finish up, my husband was diagnosed with cancer three years ago. That was a journey. I know many of you here have been praying for us. You know what? He's doing good at the moment. But we're in another journey. I'm in another journey. I don't know where it's going to go. But you know what? I know the Lord's got me in it and has got us in it as a family. And that is one of the most important things, no matter what you're going through, you hold on to that. Thank you very much. Thank you.